Uh, During these last few weeks since Easter, we have been working through the passages in the Gospel of John, beginning in John's version of the Easter story, and then what comes right after that, and then what comes after that, and now this week, the very end of the Gospel, the seven final verses of the Gospel of John, concluding John's story of resurrection and Easter. Last Sunday, you heard of the encounter between Peter and Jesus as, as Jesus turns to Peter on the shore of the Lake of Galilee, saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responding, of course I do. And Jesus saying, then feed my sheep. Three times, as if three times to undo the three times that Jesus denied Peter after the resurrection in the city garden. So today we pick up the continuing story of Jesus' encounter with Peter. You heard the first two verses of this last week, but it picks right up from that, Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Then feed my sheep. From the 21st chapter of John. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Very truly, Peter, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw this disciple following them, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to Peter, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to Peter that he would not die, but... If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen.
So a mother of a 23-year-old recent college graduate in the congregation told me recently of a phone call after a series of text messages that she had had with her son. Seems he was, for the first time in his life, having to deal with a few details of things with which many of us here are quite familiar, like car insurance, like a deposit on an apartment, like how to get around a big city, like dealing with the DMV, like changing your license, like, okay, you can go all the way down the list. Where do I get my oil changed? How do I take care of this? How do I take care of that? How do I find the, the grocery store nearby? What do I do about, about food? Do I buy the family pack of meat? I'm only one person, but it's cheaper, but then it goes stale. How do you know that meat gets stale? Oh, I should put it in the freezer. After all of this, a text comes back. Hey, Mom, adulting is hard. So we have a new word among us, you know. It's a pretty good noun, adult. Every once in a while, it becomes an adjective, like adult beverage. But now, it's become a verb to adult, adulting. Sort of like what we're doing with a lot of words these days, like the word network. used to be that network was a thing. Now it's a verb. Are you networking? To adult. To take on responsibilities, roles, and worries. For some, it's just sort of play acting. I'm adulting today, but not normally. But adulting is actually a real thing, as that young 23-year-old was learning. And there's lessons in it for all of us, as every one of us at various times and various ways tries to try to figure out how to adult. The end of John, the seven last verses of the gospel, is, and here I get back to why I'm talking about adulting, a, in my reading, a three-part commentary on adulting our faith, which is why I told you that little story. John's first take, adulting is hard. John's second take, you do you. John's third take, let wonder be your guide. Or to put those three in another way, give yourself, find yourself, open yourself. Give yourself, find yourself, open yourself. Let's take a look. You heard the background to this passage just a moment ago. Three times to Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Then feed my sheep. And then, right on the edge or the heels of that, Jesus says to Peter what it feels like to do these things. He turns right to that and he gives a commentary. When you were young, Peter, you used to tie your own belt and you would go anywhere you pleased. You were in, you, or so you thought, were in control of your life. Sky was the limit. You felt invulnerable. Life stretched out ahead. Happiness, satisfaction, 
All the things you felt were going to be in your domain and in your control lay out before you. Like so many of us, when we are young, some of us have that illusion cut off far, far too early by circumstances of life. And how sad for those who find that cut off before they even experience it. Some of us live with that illusion for a long, long time until one day we realize that the uncontrollable is perhaps more prevalent than the controllable. Some read that passage as if when Jesus says, when you are old, someone will tie the belt around you and carry you where you want to go, as if it's actually about chronological age, that when you get old, you'll have to be taken care of. But the context in this passage does not allow that interpretation, because John gives the commentary immediately afterwards when he said, Jesus said this to describe for Peter how his death would glorify God. Jesus is saying to Peter, when you mature, when you grow up, you will realize that you are not in control, that someone else will take control because of how you chose to live your life. And like me, you will be crucified. Peter dies like Jesus by a choice under his control at the hands of a power he can't control. This ties to the early church tradition that Peter was in fact crucified by the Romans after a fire in Rome that Nero blamed on the Christians. Jesus is saying to Peter, it's about growing up. It's about adulting. It's about reshaping your childish desires for power by putting what is most real, most important, most true, and most valuable first before what gives you the illusion of control. Find happiness by participating in what is important, not by being important. Take delight in duty, not just any old duty, but in commitment to a story and a vision that is divine with clarity and freedom and faith, depending all the while on God. Martin Luther King Jr. got at this when he said that if you don't know what's worth dying for, genuinely worth dying for, then you don't yet know what's worth living for. So take hold of what's most important and take it into what is uncontrollable about life without fear of failure, with faith in the one who gives life and who is life himself. For you see, that's what resurrection really means. That's what the echo and the resonance of Easter still passing through this passage is all about. Christ is life because Christ is raised. He is not dead. He is alive. Follow life, not death. And even your death will be full of life. Though John says this is about how Peter will die, 
this isn't just about martyrdom. It's about what Christians actually mean by vocation, by how we shape our lives in light of faith. In Christian spirituality, vocation is actually more important than self-esteem or self-worth or self-expression. It is part and parcel of Christian adulting. And it is the most precious thing that we can help our youth discover or discover for ourselves if we haven't yet. What is a meaningful life? Give yourself to that. For what, find what's worth your time, no matter your circumstances. Find what's worth sacrificing. What's worth sacrificing the things the world tells you you're supposed to measure yourself by. Find what puts you in the deep way of love, deeper than pleasure. Christ is there. And so, after calling Peter to a new vocation, Jesus invites him to talk a little bit more about this, to go a little bit deeper. Follow me, he says. Now, some readers of this passage spiritualize that follow me, like it's another call to discipleship, but I take it as something that's far more ordinary than that. And... uh, I take it as a bit of a setup for what comes next. And I do that because of what comes right after that. For after Jesus says, follow me, to Peter, Peter looks back and sees another disciple following them. The two words, follow me, and the disciple following them, are the same word. They are linked together. Jesus is basically saying to Peter, let's go for a walk. Let's talk more about this. And Peter says, why is he coming along? For Peter thought he was special. Peter thought Jesus' invitation to him indicated that somehow he was going to get secret knowledge. But someone else tags along. We learn later that that was John himself. John, the disciple Jesus seems closest to. John, who didn't face the gauntlet in the courtyard that night that Peter did. John, whose love for Jesus wasn't challenged by Jesus. John, who had privilege and ease and had rested next to Jesus on that Maundy Thursday night. Peter says to Jesus, what about him? Is it going to be hard for him too? Why is it so easy for him? Why are you letting him come along with us? This is for me, not him. He hasn't earned it. And Jesus says to Peter, What is he to you? What would it matter if he never suffered at all? If he never even died before I came and took him? 
What does it matter to you? And so, the second lesson about adulting your faith, it pretty much repeats the first one in a different way. The first, give yourself. The second, which comes along with giving yourself, find yourself. Why do you care about John, Peter? Keep your eyes on the prize here. Stop comparing or resenting or seeing the speck in someone else's eye. Take responsibility for yourself and your discipleship. Choose yourself in relationship to me, Jesus says. Not anyone else. Don't jealous. If you'll let me turn another adjective into a verb. Just do. No pecking order. No power play. No self-consciousness. Tend to yourself. You don't have to win. You just have to be faithful. Let God sort the rest of it out. Just come along. Come along in ways that you're called. I can use you not because you're special or blessed. I can use you simply because you're you. And I need you. Oh, and I need him too. Oh, and I need her. And I need that one over there who you thought you'd never make life with. Or that one over there too. And those others, all whom I have called to myself, don't worry about who belongs or who deserves or who somehow fits. Don't worry about who has more recognition or an easier way or seems happier. Fame, power, esteem, satisfaction, glory, worth, talent, peace, even happiness. Stop fighting for them. Just do what you're called to do and you'll have what you need. So it's this simple. Instead of putting yourself in the center of things, find yourself in relationship to the center of things. And you'll find that there, life has purpose. This is very, even very hard for achievement-oriented people like you and me. But remember that first lesson, adulting is hard. Which leads to the final little lesson about adulting here at the very end of the Gospel of John. One, give yourself to what's truly worth living for and you won't need to protect yourself. Two, find yourself in relationship to what's holy and you won't need to compare yourself. Three, open yourself to wonder and you won't need to box yourself. That very last sentence of the gospel is key here. It is so beautiful. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written 
Now, you could take that simply as the end of the book, as if saying, I couldn't write everything, so I've given you the highlights. But what if we read this verse like it's not just a coda, but as if it's like a sen- all the other sentences in the gospel, essential to the gospel, with an important message for us. If that's the case, you could take it this way. God in Christ is no less than what the scriptures and what believers teach about him, or other than what the scriptures or believers teach about him. But God in Christ is so much more. God is more than stories or ideas or lessons or theologies. This God in whose life we may find our purpose and our future is more than what all of our philosophies can imagine. He's more than anything we can say about him. The life he offers is more than what any earthly interpretation of what life is supposed to be about could ever come up with. As much as we do care about life, for sure, and we should, our faith is finally not about how we follow along. It's finally about the one we follow, who is life itself. Maybe Jesus is more real than what you simply think about him. Maybe he's asking you to take a little walk with him, too. Maybe he's asking you to do more than think about him. Maybe he's asking you to think with him and in him and for him in the world. And to never stop learning of him things that you could never imagine if the spirit weren't if the spirit weren't turning your head toward him go into relationship with him first in prayer and only then ask what's next that's awe that's wonder that's love and that's what christian adulting is all about giving yourself, finding yourself, opening yourself.